one of the best books that I read this summer was titled Unwanted. And while the focus of the book, uh, which was really profound, had to do with the theme of healing and sexual brokenness, so a very specific topic, some of the principles and ideas that were in the book really cross um, a lot of different themes and issues. And for me, there was this particular section at the beginning of the book. Uh, Honestly, it was worth the price of the book alone. And the author talked about the necessity of honor and honesty. The need to have honor and honesty. And he talked about the difficulty that we often have as people holding those two truths in tension. Honesty and honor. So here's a little quote from the book. Jay Stringer writes that many families and faith communities have embraced the lie that if we're honest, we could not truly honor. And if we honored someone, it would certainly come at the cost of honesty. And when given the choice between honesty and honor, I find that most of my clients are naturally bent to some degree to be dishonest about what they have experienced in their families. He goes on and says, The writers of Scripture recognize that honesty and honor should never be separated. And until you understand that honor and honesty are two sides of the same coin, you will likely be inclined to separate them. What if you could live where the streams of honesty and honor could converge? And then he says a genuine mark of maturity is the ability to hold two simultaneous truths together at the same time. Honor and honesty. And again, there's, there's so many applications for that. And obviously, yes, when it comes to sexual brokenness, but so many other places too where these things complement each other. They're not in competition with each other, and yet we feel oftentimes like they are. So like, could we live in honor and honesty about our families? Could we actually be honest about the brokenness that we've experienced or that has happened or continues to happen, but in a way that isn't out just to trash people, but honor them too? Honoring in truth-telling, because truth-telling is is honoring. Could we have this, again, convergence of honesty and honor when it comes to your parents, the families you were raised in? Could we have and live out of the the convergence of honor and honesty about our country? That seems to be a challenge right now. To, To honor. And also to tell the truth. And to not feel like you have to just tell partial stories of the past. To be able to honor the country. But also to do in such a way that we don't just trash everything. Seems really hard for us to do. Honor and honesty, two sides of the same coin. So, like, what could that look like to have honesty and honor with our families of origin? Honesty and honor with our parents. Honesty and honor with our country. Honesty and honor with ourselves. 
And then what brings us to the passage tonight, honesty and honor with our sin. Because that's what I believe the Apostle Paul is actually offering us tonight when it comes to the text at hand or the passage at hand. Some people don't want to or like to talk about sin at all. Others only talk about sin. What does honesty and honor look like? If you haven't already, open up your Bibles to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians 1, 21. So a few weeks ago, we started our fall series in the New Testament book of Colossians. Last week, if you were with us, we landed in the Christ poem that I believe Paul really grounds as central for this entire letter, for everything that he has to say. He declares that Jesus Christ is Lord. That Jesus Christ is Lord over the first creation. He made all things. Jesus Christ is Lord over the new creation, and he has reconciled all things in heaven and on earth through the blood of the cross. Jesus Christ is Lord. So Paul grounds his letter in this idea that Jesus, the Messiah of Israel, desires to have preeminence in all things. So he carries a special place with a special authority and nothing is exempt from his rule. So that's the centerpiece of this book. If you're new with us, we're going to be here for a few more months. But it's critical to understand that Paul is declaring to this church and to us that Jesus Christ is Lord and he desires to be preeminent over all things. So he lays that foundation and that poem really comes to bear and get applied then in all these different ways and places. And with that as a foundation, with kind of this cosmic vision of the rule of Jesus over all things, visible, invisible, heaven and earth. He then gets really specific and he brings that back down and he brings it back into their lives. So again, having talked about Jesus very poetically for five verses, Paul then shifts to the end of his opening prayer and he says, and you, and you, Right? Jesus Christ is Lord over the first creation. Jesus Christ is Lord over the new creation. But let's talk about what that then means for you. Verse 21, and you, and you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him, if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, of which I, Paul, became a minister. Jesus Christ is Lord. And you. In this short little section, as he wraps up the opening of his letter, we come face to face with the reality of our sin. We come to this need for honesty and honor. The first verse points out the severity of our problem, it points out the depth 
of the separation. And Paul puts a spotlight. It's very quick, but he points the spotlight on humanity's problem with God. And he uses three words. He uses three phrases. He paints the picture about the depth of our separation. He talks about us being alienated. He says that we are hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. My friends, we need to be honest. And unfortunately, like right now, we live in a cultural moment. We live in a, a secular age. We live in a, an arena that discourages honesty about this part. And instead of dealing in truth, we have created all sorts of explanations and all sorts of narratives and given all sorts of excuses to somehow dodge around this reality. Simply put, naming sin or painting an accurate picture of humanity and our own souls, like it's severely lacking in our modern age. Borrowing from the image of Hans Christian Andersen, maybe you remember his 1837 fable called The Emperor's New Clothes? I don't know if you remember that fable. But when it comes to our prevailing culture right now, the king has no clothes on. But we've been culturally conditioned through the years to parade around in our collective nakedness as though we have a beautiful wardrobe on. And in the fable, it's one of the kids who's like, he doesn't have any clothes on. It's the kid who's willing to be honest enough to be like, I don't know what you all are saying about how wonderful his clothes are, but he doesn't have any clothes on. And Paul, in his own way here, is saying, yeah, we don't have any clothes on. Who will speak up in a day when we call evil good and good evil? Who is willing to have the courage to speak about what is true? It's going to go through these terms that Paul uses. First, he says alienated. Verse 21, and you who once were alienated. Some translate that phrase estranged. That you were shut out. Like to be a non-participant. This is the ultimate being an outsider looking in. And Paul expresses a similar theme, not just here in Colossians, but also in the book of Ephesians. Ephesians 2, he uses some of the same language. Ephesians 2.11, he says, Therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. So both to the Ephesians and to the Colossians, Paul points out to these people, many of whom were Gentiles, but he points out the, the double tragedy of our sin as Jewish, or excuse me, as non-Jewish, as Gentile sinners. That we've chosen through our own self-love, we have chosen to reject God. And as a result, as he says here, we were without hope and without God in the world. 
But then as Gentiles, we were then alienated. We didn't even have the benefits of Israel who then had the law and they had the sacrificial system and they had some means to deal with their sin. As Gentiles, we're cut off from that. So we have had our own rebellion and now we are without hope and without God and strangers, estranged, pushed aside, cut off on the outside looking in for the only hope that we could have. So we have this massive problem in our sin without any real solutions. Up a creek without a paddle. Estranged from God and cut off from any possible solution outside of ourselves. Paul's term here is alienated. Outsiders with no way in. Dying with no access to real medicine. Starving without the ability to get real food. Thirsty without real drink. Alienated, cut off, estranged from the God who made us and loved us. Like This is serious. Next phrase, he says that we were hostile in mind who were once alienated and hostile in mind. It's the same word translated elsewhere in the New Testament as enemy, as odious. The root of that word is to hate. It's like the, like the honesty of the situation is that we have hated God. And the ancient idea of Mind covers uh, the heart as well. Hateful, hostile in thinking and in feeling. Like from the depths of our being, our choices to rebel against God have resulted in hostility of mind. Enemies with God. Hostile haters. To which you may be like, man, that's really harsh. Like, whoa, 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 whoa. Like, I'm not that bad. I may have a bad day or two, right? I may have chosen to live life on my own terms. I may have broken a few rules. No one's perfect. I may have sinned a few times. Many of us live in the smokescreen of niceness to avoid the depth of the heartache of what really, truly is going on. To use some other Pauline language, we have chosen the kingdom of darkness. We have chosen an act of treason. We have chosen rebellion, called God a liar, and lived in hostility against him east of Eden. But man, we like to cloak it in nicer terms than that. More palatable terms. This is not a popular cultural message. Come and hear someone tell you how hostile to God you are and how alienated you are. Open hostility against God can be a tough pill to swallow. But that has been happening since Adam and Eve. And there is alienation and there is hostility of mind that has then led to doing evil deeds. And you who were once alienated and hostile in mind doing evil deeds. Paul spells this out also in the book of Romans. Romans chapter 1 verse 18 
He just paints this picture. He says the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made so they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie, and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. He paints this picture, and then he gets to the, the evil deeds. He kind of creates his own list. It's not meant to be exhaustive. Next slide. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless, Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. And that's, that's sobering. Can we be honest about that? Can we name what needs to be named in that alienation and hostility of mind? Doing evil deeds, it's killing us and our world. And this is true, my friends, at an individual level. This happens in me. This is true at a corporate level. It happens in business. This is true at an institutional level. It's true at a national level. Our sin is worse than we feared. It has permeated every aspect of our life. Every single part. But again, the more common thing to do is to cloak it. To cloak our hostility. To hide our evil deeds. To reframe our alienation so it doesn't look and feel so bad. Maybe honesty might help us. But that's not the end of the passage. Honesty and honor. Not only do we need honesty about the depth of our separation, but we also need honor about the glory of the reparation that has happened through Jesus because this Jesus, the preeminent one, has not left us there in our sin. And so Paul has three new words and three new phrases to describe the change, to describe what has happened in Jesus. What are those three words? Holy blameless, 
above reproach before him. And so here's, here's what's odd, is that some of us feel really uh, challenged to sit in the honesty of our sin, and others have a real hard time sitting in the honor of what Jesus has done. Can we sit in the honor too? What has he done? First word, holy. That word shows up all over the New Testament 229 times. Holy. Hagios, to be worthy of veneration, to be set apart for God and his purposes, to be exclusively his. Holy is a word that gets reserved for God, for his character. It's a word that gets reserved for his special possessions. Angels are called holy. There are prophets who are called holy. The temple is called holy. The implements are holy. The word is reserved for those who have proper connection with God which again shows us the beauty and the splendor and the glory of Jesus' redeeming work. Paul says earlier in the passage that he has made peace through the blood of the cross. And so, in verse 21, once you were this, but verse 22, now you are holy. Not estranged, not cut off, not without hope, not on the outside looking in with your face pressed up against the glass, but clothed in the holiness of Jesus. Clothed and made holy in his sight. Holy, and next word, blameless, which means that you are without blemish and without spot. Far cry from the stain of sin. It's a far cry from hostility of mind. Again, Paul does a lot, this, a lot of this with Colossians and Ephesians. He borrows some of the same words and phrases and ideas. So you'll see them in Colossians. They'll also pop up in Ephesians. And Paul uses this same idea in Ephesians chapter 5 when he addresses husbands and he explains the model that he is drawing from. This is Ephesians 5, verse 25. He says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor. And here he goes, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish holy blameless above reproach before him that phrase means to be free from accusations above reproach no one can drop off a complaint on your doorstep not the accuser who lives to accuse the brethren and not your neighbor. Maybe you already know this, but these three phrases that Paul uses were often used to describe the sacrifice. And sacrificial system words, it's temple words, sacrificial language. 
terms that were used to describe the sacrifice that was to be offered, terms that, was used, that were used to describe the process of presenting you in his sight, blameless, holy. Paul is envisioning the church as part of and involved in God's new temple presence. Oh, these words are words of honor. In his book, Sit, Walk, Stand, Watchman Nee says, it is the life of a Christian. If the life of a Christian is to be pleasing to God, it must be properly adjusted to him in all things. And too often we place the emphasis in our own lives upon the application of this principle to some single detail of our behavior or of our work for him. But God measures everything from start to finish by the perfections of his son. So here we have this crazy conundrum of the Christian life. Sinner saints. And some of us just want to ignore the sinner part. (laughs) That didn't happen. It's not that bad. Oh, probably worse than you imagine. That has infected all of our life and all of our systems and all of our world. And yet, through the work of Jesus... Holy, blameless, without reproach. To capture the whole, it requires honesty and honor. And probably honesty and honor in our sin. And honesty and honor in our redemption. Because, again, this is ironic. In some circles... People will vehemently fight against any conversation around sin. Like, let's not talk about sin. It's really not that bad. And yet also, there are some places, namely in church usually, that only want to talk about sin. As though the work of Jesus hasn't taken effect. As though that's only what we are, is what we were. And so our life together gets framed around let's meet together. Again, this is, can be like traditional accountability is let's meet together and share the worst parts of our week only. As though that were the only thing that existed in our lives. Focusing only on our sin. Can we honor and celebrate the work of Jesus among us? Can we honor God's temple in our bodies. Because honesty without honor leads to despair. Hopelessness. But honor without honesty leads to some sort of pseudo-spirituality, a fake healing that actually kind of masks over the gaping wounds. Paul ends this little passage with an if. He does say, if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, and the life of faith must continue, and the life of faith perseveres to the end and doesn't give up and doesn't stray away. But I think in that journey, in that process, there's this invitation to hold our sin, our sinner sainthood in tension. Because I'm still discovering the depths of my sin, unfortunately. I'm still discovering stuff in me that I didn't even know was there. 
But God in his grace and love, because I'm an image bearer, he wants me to be aware of that. And also in my holiness, I have not yet fully arrived. And I'm grateful to learn that I can't out-sin God's grace. So there's a lot to be honest about. And there's a lot to honor. But frankly, in our worlds, we live at such a pace that we don't slow down to engage it. So that's what I want to do in these last few moments tonight. Before we sing some more songs, before we take communion and come to the heartbeat of our salvation. Could we just have even just a few moments tonight to think, to give space to God around honesty and honor? So I want you, uh, if you're comfortable, you can leave your eyes open or you can close your eyes if you want to. We're just going to take about two minutes. And I want you to Take a deep breath. I want you to think through your day. Just pick a day. I want you to think through your schedule. When you get up out of bed in the morning, when you go through your routine to the time that you go to bed, I want you to think through the relationships that you have, the people that you touch, those that you encounter morning, afternoon, evening, people that you spend time with, maybe through your work day, your school day. Think through your evening plans, through your habits, your hobbies, think through your reactions, think through your coping behaviors, maybe think through your places of comfort, the things you do to find release. And then ask God these two questions. God, where in my life is there need for greater honesty? Something that maybe I've been avoiding or sugarcoating or spinning. One of the gifts of the Christian life is repentance. It's confession. It's to speak the truth. To say the same thing to God that he already knows. Where might there be need for greater honesty? And then also, where might there be need in your life for greater honor? Where your attention has been maybe uh, stuck in shame, stuck in the defining moments of the past. 
where you have a really hard time believing that God could actually call you holy or without spot because you just focus on the spots so much without blemish. Above reproach, you just feel so far away. Where, where might there be a need for honor? Thanks for spending a few moments in quiet. I encourage you maybe get a chance to write some of those things down today. Maybe get a chance to talk to someone tonight before you go to bed. I think about the scene in the middle of John's gospel account where Jesus finds himself face to face with a woman who is caught in adultery. It's John 8:10. And if you know the story, this woman is caught in adultery. The man isn't present. Where's the dude in this? It takes two to commit adultery. But he's nowhere to be found. An angry mob has formed. They're calling for her death. They're calling for the law to be upheld. And they're calling for her to be stoned. And Jesus bends down. And he starts writing in the dirt. And then he looks at the woman and says, let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. And then he keeps writing in the dirt. And one by one, the text says, starting with the oldest, those men leave. And they leave Jesus now face to face with the woman. It's just an incredible moment. It's a really powerful scene. What is Jesus going to say to this woman who's guilty? The mob wants her dead, but now they've left, and the situation is diffused. John 8.10. Jesus stood up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, sin no more. What a beautiful convergence of honesty and honor. Like, he's honest with her. He calls what she's done sin. It is wrong. It has violated the law. His desire for her is not to continue to live in that place. But there's so much honor here. In his words, in his tone, with his questions. No condemnation, but an invitation to be changed and to live in a new way. Honor and honesty. Beauty of Jesus. The beauty of the gospel. Beautiful invitation to you tonight to be honest in your life with God, with yourself, with others, and to know the dignity and value and the worth 
that you have as an image bearer and also through the blood of Jesus now as holy, blameless, and without reproach. May you find a God and also may we find a community here willing to do the same. Let's pray. King Jesus, Lord of heaven and earth, over all things visible and invisible, all things made by you, for you, all things made to you. Tonight we desire to be honest before you and not ignore, not spin, not play games, not minimize, not distract. A countercultural life of honesty and honor. And that you would call us all the things that pertain to Jesus is amazing. It's humbling. But may you lift our heads tonight. But even tonight around the table, may we look at each other in honor as we continue to say no to sin and yes to you, and we continue to walk with one another, mindful of all that you say about us tonight. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus. God, I pray for those that may be in the room tonight or watching online that have not yet come by faith to receive this forgiveness, this grace, this love. Or may tonight be a night where we would say yes to you, maybe for the first time, But may we rally around the finished work of Jesus and all that he says over us this evening. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.